0: Thanks for checking out the KZMC Podcast. My name is April Zaire and I'm an Associate Pastor at KZMC. This podcast is a recording of sermon teachings from our 9.30am Sunday morning worship gatherings. We release a new episode every Tuesday. If you're looking to check out our Sunday mornings, you can find our live stream over on our YouTube channel on Kingsfield Zurich Mennonite Church. We'd also love to have you join us in person. You can find out all the details about our Sunday mornings on our website, kzmc.ca. Thanks for listening, and have a great day. I'm going to be sharing a little bit later a bit about some of our journey. But before that, I want to uh, go into the Book of Acts and try to dig out some truth that might be helpful for all of us in our walk with God. <clears throat> Any of, Anybody here ever heard of a guy named Stuart McLean? <clears throat> yeah. In a book of tales from the Vinyl Café, a chaplain from Western Canada sent a story to Stuart and he included it in his book, And I want to share that with you just very briefly as we begin. The chaplain was called in an emergency to do a wedding. And as he talked to the man who had been called away on a family emergency, he discovered that there had been counseling done with the bride and the groom, and everything was in order and set to go but he was walking into a brand-new situation he knew nothing about. He had the location a farm out in the middle of the prairies, and as he drove in that day to that farm, he was amazed to see little white tents all over the place. It looked like a Woodstock Classic, and dozens and dozens of big Harley Davidsons all around. His was the only Jetta in the whole parking lot. He went to the home, met the parents of the bride and the groom, checked over the license, everything was in order, and uh, then slowly through the milling people made his way to a large tent. He got a hold of a mic and he said, folks, there's going to be a wedding And with that, there was an incredible roar as all of the Harley Davidsons opened up and circled the place, and then they lined up right to his tent and they parked and made an aisle for the bride. She was dressed in jeans and a black t-shirt with flowers in her hair, and she walked up slowly, carefully, the front, and 140 of these motorcycle guys, as she walked up, switched off their bikes until she got to the very end at the tent, and the last guys turned off their bikes, and there was dead silence. And then the bride's voice rose clear and strong and said, Chaplain, we are waiting for a sermon and a word from the Lord. And these were 140 bikers who had been sober for over a year and now rode as Christians. And I trust you've come this morning to hear a word from the Lord. And so we want to take some time to share in his word and a part of what we share is our story of walking with God. I love the theme this morning, Advent. And the one song especially I'll be referring to, the name of Jesus. It's a powerful thing in the book of Acts. And we look at it carefully for a few minutes this morning. Acts 1.8 You shall be my witnesses when you have received power, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and to the ends of the earth. And then I want to take us quickly to Acts chapter three and Acts chapter four, and look at some of the amazing things that happened in this story. We wanna reflect a bit on the life of Peter and John. And Peter and John are highlighted in Acts chapter three. Now most of us know well Acts chapter two, that was an exciting chapter where this power comes after they had waited for the fulfillment of the promise. And they were filled with the Spirit of God and it was a momentous time and 120 people became the nucleus of a powerful force of people that has literally changed the world. Acts chapter 3 is an exciting chapter because it talks about one man who is sort of the hero of Acts chapter 3. You don't usually think of a, a person begging being the hero of the story, but this is a beggar who was carried every day there was prayer time at the temple He must have had some good friends, and on his way to the temple, he ran smack into Peter and John, who were on their way to the temple at three in the afternoon for afternoon prayers. Peter and John see this guy, and Peter said, look at me. And The fellow looks, and he said, boy, I'm going to get a few bucks on this guy. And he was disappointed totally because Peter and John, Peter says, I don't have any money in my pocket, but what I've got in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up, and Peter grabs him, and his legs and feet are instantly healed, and he jumps up, and then it's described as he is jumping and leaping and praising God and going into the temple with Peter and John. Nobody, nobody in Jerusalem had seen anything like this before. It was an amazing story. And it says all the people suddenly gathered together. I'm going to need a drink of water. Somebody can help me. Thank you. When they saw this happen, it was just an an attraction that was more than people could believe in. And they gathered And uh, Peter now, being the preacher that he was, he had one sermon under his belt. When he saw a bunch of people gather, he wanted to preach, and he starts preaching. His theme is very simple. God has ordained this from the beginning, that this is what should happen, and you rascals, you rejected Jesus, and you are the murderers of the Son of God. Thank you. Mm. Well, that's quite a sermon to preach. You preach at people and call them a bunch of murderers. But the people were receptive. They listened to Peter and there was a great response. And uh, it was so amazing and it so stirred up Jerusalem, there was reaction from obviously the Jewish leaders. Chapter four of Acts picks this up and said, the Sanhedrin, the leaders, Annas, Caiaphas, and all the guys who had put Jesus to death, called in these disciples and uh, said, what's going on? And with them was the guy who was lame, who is now healed, and who was walking and jumping and praising God. Uh, and they couldn't deny that something incredible had happened. And what's the question that they ask? The question they ask is, By what power have you done this? See, we live in a world that's interested in power. And the Sanhedrin had a certain amount of power because they interpreted the laws of the old Torah, the Old Testament Jewish laws, and they told people what to do and what not to do, and they had a tremendous amount of influence and power among the Jewish people. And so they say, by what power have you done this? Peter and John say, look at, look at this. This has nothing to do with us. This has everything to do about the power in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And what a name. And we sang this morning the amazing name of Jesus. And so there was a discussion and a questioning. And the Sanhedrin was dumbfounded because they couldn't deny something incredible had happened and they didn't know what to do. So they send the uh, apostles, Peter and John, out and they get together and they make a big discussion and they say, what are we going to do? And so they said, we we just, we got to stop this nonsense about talking in the name of Jesus. So they called the disciples back and they said, don't. Ever use that name again. And they observed something incredible. They observed that these guys were not educated, were not seminary trained, they were ordinary people, but they had been with Jesus. An amazing, an amazing statement. So Peter and John said, we hear you. We hear your statement not to preach. But we have been called to be witnesses because God has told us through his servant Jesus that we are his witnesses about what has happened. They said, we cannot be quiet. And they continued to preach. It's an amazing thing. When we were in India, and we had the luxury of having power in our home, it it was not to be taken for granted because a great percentage of the time in the evening when we flipped on the switch to have some light, the filament would just glow a little bit red, but not much light. to me, it often reminds me of many Christians whose filament is just barely glowing. It's there, there's a connection, but just barely glowing. No power, no light. And so Jesus is the one who gives us power to be witnesses, to declare what we have seen and heard. This was reinforced recently in a courtroom in Georgia that some of you might have observed and followed, where 12 people were shown evidence, and then they had to judge the evidence, and they were witnesses of all the information there was, and they had to make a judgment about a person's guilt or innocence. It's an amazing story. And we have been given power to say and to declare what God has been doing in our lives and in the lives of people around us. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, talks about a lively hope. Talks about the fact that the people of his time were scattered in severe persecution, but he encourages them to continue to have a lively hope in the power of the resurrection. And that's our celebration this morning. The fact that God has come Advent, the one who was anticipated, we have an incredible hope in the power of the resurrected Christ. Many years ago, we were in Philadelphia listening to a black preacher, and his whole theme was, it's Friday, but Sunday is coming. And what he meant by that, Friday is full of terror, Friday is full of struggle, Friday is full of betrayal, Friday is crucifixion time, but Sunday is resurrection. So every Sunday morning, we celebrate resurrection, the power of Jesus working, operating in the lives of people around the world. I want to change gears now and just share a little bit of how Doris and I met, how we ended up in India, and some of the things that happened in what God was doing in that amazing place. We grew up in the early 60s in college, and there was a president of the United States who said some very interesting things. He said, don't don't worry about what you can do for yourself. Imagine what you could do for your country. And in the same way, speakers in our churches said, Don't worry about yourself. What can you do for the kingdom of God?" It was an atmosphere of, we can go out and change the world. We were actually in school together. We had just been married. We watched the TV the same day that many of you remember, November the 22nd, 63, Kennedy was shot in Dallas. but his concept of sharing and giving was a powerful inspiration to many people. I went to Messiah College just near Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, for four years, and uh, the best thing in my education I got was my wife. <clears throat> and we had a strong Christian background, of being in church Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night. And as we shared in planning for our wedding and what we would do, we had decided we wanted to give some time overseas. And uh, so we talked to our mission board and and things happened. And we thought we would like to go to Africa. We have strong mission programs in Zimbabwe and Zambia. And... uh, We had friends who had done that, and it seemed like an exciting thing to do. But when our mission secretary discovered I was a Canadian, he said, oh, we we need some people in India, and Canadians can get into India easier than Americans could at that point. (laughs) Make a long story short, we headed for India in September 64. We were young. We thought we had the world by the tail. And it was exciting. We got on a freighter in New York with seven other passengers on that freighter. And we sailed off across the Atlantic and through the Mediterranean. And because it was a freighter, it stopped at every big city in the Mediterranean. And we just had a delightful time. With two other Indian passengers who were returning to India after doing postgraduate work in the West. It was perfect. They taught us all the things to do and not to do, what you do with your left hand and what you do with your right hand, and certain things you never do with your left hand because that's your dirty hand. We didn't know this, but it was a great, great introduction to the East. We arrived in India after thirty three days on that freighter, and we immediately were immersed in language, <coughs> and we spent fourteen months learning Hindi. Doris was a linguist, she picked it up quick. I bumbled along. And after a whole term in India, I could fluently make mistakes. But that was what we did. We finally got to this little place where we were assigned out in the boonies. To get into that little village, we had to literally drive across a wide river in our little Jeep. And any time we left home, we had to cross that river to go anywhere, and there we were for six years. We had adopted a whole family of orphans we knew nothing about, some of them older than what we were. But we got involved in helping people get a basic education, and we had a hostel for girls and for boys from our tribal peoples who lived around us. The tribal peoples of North India are an interesting people because they're not Hindus, they're not Muslims, they're not Buddhists, they're animist, and they were open to the gospel. These tribal peoples had no possibility of education. They only were the slaves of the landowners and worked at a subsistence level, and these were the people who responded and so they would send their boys and their girls to our hostel, and we had a large Christian school there. And Doris did a lot of work writing letters to people in the West, and people would sponsor them, send some money, and we'd do the translation from Hindi to English, and then again from English to Hindi. And there was correspondence back and forth. It was called the SPICE program, Scholarship Program for Indian Children. What happened with these children was astounding. It gave them the very basic elements of their education so that they could do things and advance in school and have an opportunity to become something. Did this for a number of years, it was exciting. Six years ago, almost seven years ago in Harrisburg, Mennonite World Conference met there and uh, Doris and I were there, and uh, we were looking for these guys, and they were looking for us. Uh, There were about a dozen young people from India who were part of the delegation from the Brethren in Christ Church in India, and uh, we found each other, and we started talking, and we talked about the kids who were in our elementary basic. Oh, they said, so-and-so, he's now the superintendent of police somewhere, and this guy, he's an engineer, and this guy's a doctor. And we couldn't believe it, because we had made the means for them to do their basic elementary education, and then on they went. It was one of the most exciting things we had seen, coming out of some of the stuff we had done years and years before, back in Bihar. Well, we did that for about six years, and then we shifted to another part of our mission program, which was training the leaders Of these tribal peoples. We had seven, almost like seven great deacons who were early converts, and they would come into a center, and a friend of mine, Harvey Sider, we would take three days and we would teach these people how to create a sermon, how to preach a sermon, and they would take four sermons back for the next month, and they would preach them in their villages and teach their people, and that's what we did for year after year in educating our leaders on how to preach. It was literacy, it was theology, it was learning how to preach. And so Harvey Sider and myself, we worked together and did this program for a number of years. And incredible results. Dr. Ralph Winter from the Pasadena School of Missions in California got so excited about what was happening out there. He came out and spent a couple of weeks with us and we took him from place to place where these little tribal churches were thriving and growing and uh, he called it a a church explosion of some kind. It really wasn't, but it was what God was doing. I'll just share one little thing that sort of relates to Acts chapter 3. We had a little hospital there, and that's where all of our four kids were born. But at the hospital one day, I was talking to the doctor, and the doctor said, oh, man, he said, I feel terrible. I said, what's wrong? Well, your friend from that village, that Santal village, the tribal village, he's been here for a couple of times, and he's full of cancer, and I just sent him home to die and I knew the village, and it was about three months after that, I had my little Jeep with a trailer behind full of asbestos sheets for a a new church roof, and we got out to the village, and they always lived on the side of a little river. We got to the river, and I saw a bunch of guys coming out from the village to help us get the stuff across the river, and the first guy across was this guy that Dr. Lowell had sent home to die. I said, whoa, what's going on here? I thought, The doctor sent this guy home to die. Well, he said, we got together, we prayed, and God healed him. Praise God, and that's what happened. We are witnesses of what God has been doing in the hearts and lives of people as we walk with God. That was exciting, what God is doing. It's nothing much that we did. We had a lot to learn growing up in those days. The the only good thing was we were so far away from anybody at home, we had to learn how to talk to each other, how to listen to each other, how to figure out how to be married together and live together. Took a lot of growing up, and we did a lot of that in those years in India. But God has been good. And God gave us four kids, the oldest a daughter who teaches school. second one, Tim, is another story I'll share next week. The two youngest are twins. And this week we celebrated their 50th birthday. And that's exciting. And so God has blessed us. Our son is married to a Kurdish refugee girl who came to Canada, became a Christian in Finland on the way to Canada. They have two little boys, and I have two grandsons from the land of Abraham. Our youngest daughter, the twin, married a Finn. We have two blonde grandsons, and so we had two dark-haired ones and two blonde ones. We have a very special granddaughter in the USA, and I'll share that story next week. <clears throat> witnesses, witnesses of God's power to change lives. We are witnesses. Few of us are called to preach, thank goodness. Few are called to be evangelists, but we are all called to be witnesses. As we walk with God. Now, the great classic walking with God story is in Genesis chapter 5, where it says that Enoch walked with God, not just for a couple of years, how many? 300 years. Now, that's quite a hike. Walked with God for 300 years. And then it says, they just walked on home with God, and he was no more, for God took him home. Wow, I'd love to die that way. Walk right on home with God. Walking with God. Next Sunday, I want to talk about how we walk with God. Today was a little bit of walking with God in strange and faraway places. But God is good, and God is faithful even through the tough times and even through the difficult times, and we are grateful for that. I would encourage you. Exercise the power in the name of Jesus. Be bold. And in the Peter and John story, there are three steps. Peter was available when he went to the temple. And he saw a guy, and he, he might have said, Look, I'm going in to pray. I've got important prayers to make. Don't bother me. But he stopped. He was available. That's the A. B, B <laughs> Peter was bold, he was bold to seize an opportunity. And C, Peter was totally compassionate. And that's the ABC of sharing and being a witness. Available, bold, and compassionate. And that's how we went to India, and that's the kind of life we have lived for all these years. And God has been good. So I would encourage you to increase some boldness. (laughs) Be available and share your compassion as you walk with God. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, this morning for celebrating Advent, that Jesus came and fulfilled the promise and the dreams of the old prophets. and God broke in and lived among us, showed us how to live and how to suffer and how to die, showed us what it was to follow Jesus, showed us what it was to have a life of power by the Spirit of God living in us. and We are grateful this morning to celebrate again this year how you came and became our Savior. We are grateful and thankful for your mercy and grace and wonder in the lives of people that we've been privileged to touch over the years. We thank you and give you praise. Amen.